Not data-driven advertising, but data-driven politics. It, it's a great idea. Politics, politicians have the right to, to lie under the First Amendment. I get that. But I still believe we've gone too far and we're not done yet. Facebook wanted to become a media. Now it's time to be held to same standards that broadcast media have been held to for 70 years. Many politicians believe it's wrong, but I'm also pretty sure that many politicians have been sat down and told by their campaign strategists that if you don't do these things, you won't win. You know, we want people to be better educated about the voter file and how it's publicly available and the sort of data we have and how we make decisions. People are, everybody's unique. And, and there are always people who throw off a model. Even the best models that are 98% accurate still means 2% you're wrong. It, it's, it can sound really creepy and sound really, you know, uh, big brotherish. But at the end, you know, we're really just making informed guesses about who people are based on the information they're giving us. And you and I do that every day when we see people walk in the coffee shop. Alex, it's been a while, my man. How you been? Jerry, my man, I'm very well, and I'm, I'm pumped to be back talking about important topics here in our podcast. Yes, yes, this has been, I feel like we went into hibernation mode. Um, we did, life. we took a break. It was an important break, and we're back. Uh, we are de definitely back. We have a season to finish, uh, and we have many seasons more to go. Uh, but but today, we're, we're talking about uh, data and politics. We've known that data and digital marketing around politics uh, was a big deal. Uh, a lot of questions starts to come up around uh, are we using data properly for the politics uh, agenda, uh, political agenda? Is it used to um, really shed the true light or actually uh, hide things uh, from people. Yeah. Um, I think there's people have different opinions. I have my own. You have yours. I'm pumped. But, you, yeah. our, our listeners can't tell by the smile on my face, the <laughs> sense of anticipation. I'm I'm pumped about this topic um, and we'll get into why. Yeah. Yeah. And we're going to have a great guest uh, who's going to come in and his sole job is actually was to help political parties in leveraging data for for campaigns, not only mm -hmm. presidential campaigns, but any uh, political campaign. But um, let's get into it. Where where do you stand on this? Um, you're you know you're yeah. you're. This is data and, and marketing. This is your life, and yeah. you're you're not. Uh, you know you like politics too. So I do, I do, and so data. So so marketing plays a huge role in politics. And what's really interesting, I think, a place to start is that a lot of people don't realize that that marketing and advertising practices and techniques within political campaigns are actually quite progressive political campaigns i think people perceive as kind of well they only happen every so often so the people doing that advertising and marketing you know it's it's not the most advanced it's but the, but it's the exact opposite that advertising and marketing for for politics is is very progressive it's usually leading edge it's usually using whatever are the latest 
actually even slightly over the horizon techniques and capabilities in advertising because campaign cycles are so short well they used to be um, and they're very concentrated and there's a lot of high stakes involved under a short period of time they have to achieve something and so campaign people often try to be cutting edge with advertising and marketing and data has always played a role in that and the theme of this season has been digital marketing needs to do better digital needs to do better have have we lost um track or uh, there's something that happened with data and politics where we feel that we lost control there's something more interesting that's happened um it's about the extent of data the access of data the volume of data the detail of data see Advertisers and marketers have always used data in, in political campaigns as far back as, as you can go. If they've got the data, they'll use it. The thing is, uh, as you go back in time, you had less data, less information about the audience and the consumers. Uh, today, they have more data than ever, thanks to the internet and social media in particular. Um, and that data is being used to just have better advertising results. And that's what we're seeing, our results of the use of that information um, uh, and the delivery of content to, to people that are influencing people's opinions and then leading to the results that we see when we talk about the influence of data and social media and modern marketing on politics. It's just political campaigns are using the tools at their disposal. Okay, so I, I agree with that. But then there's also the argument that um, this data is allowing us and politicians to push some sort of like a political propaganda, right? Like if we look sure. at, I hate really comparing anything to, to Hitler, but, but there, but there is the idea of Hitler was, was a great marketer, right? He, he didn't use digital marketing, but he knew he how would've. to get, oh, he would have, he would have <laughs> used the heck out of it. But at the time he used the radio, he used TV. Uh, to push push an agenda. Whatever was at his disposal, he used. And if they exactly. had more data, they would have used it. If they had social media, they would have used it. Exactly. So he knew at the time that there is certain topics and people with backgrounds, and this is all data, right? And, and use that data to, to push his agenda. And I feel that we've seen this in politics here again. And, but I cannot, I cannot help it and feel that we're not, we're using data, but we're not pushing the right information. In some cases, yes. we are not. And if data is allowing us to do things, but it's not allowing us to set the right guardrails, mm -hmm. um, exactly. then, then I feel like we lost control. We're driving a very powerful car, but we really do not know how to turn it around. Exactly. So it's about the content, actually, and the rules and guidelines, like you say, the guardrails about the use of that content delivered to certain groups of people. Now, let me back up and say, um, is it a problem because the data allows a marketer, in this case, a, a political campaign marketer, to fit you into a segment? Is that the problem? I don't think so. Just because you qualify for a segment because they have the data that, that, that you know, dimensionalizes your life um, thanks to what you've done on social media and they're able to say, put Jerry into this bucket. That's not the problem. The problem then is the content that they deliver to you being truthful or not and any kind of oversight 
about that content being truthful or not. Uh, that's the actual problem. And I think um, uh, what really needs to be talked about now is the application of truth in advertising to to social media political ads. Um, I did a little research on this. You know, it turns out, uh, it's re- quite interesting, political um, politicians can actually legally lie to us, according what? to the Supreme Court. Yeah. <laughs> legally lie to us. They can legally lie to us because uh, political discourse is protected under the First Amendment. So if you're a politician, you can say whatever you want under the under the guise of political discourse being protected by the First Amendment. So you legally can lie as a politician uh, because of the First Amendment protection. Wait, what is the First Amendment? Uh, protection, freedom of speech. Okay, but uh, yeah, so... Now, now it gets more interesting. So you're probably familiar with truth and advertising going way back to the early days of radio and television. And actually in those earlier days, broadcasters, and I have a degree in broadcasting, um, broadcasters were held to extremely high standards. Yeah, Uh, they had ethics. Like, it was a big deal. It was a huge deal up until the 90s. And it really started to loosen up with the Telecommunications Act of 1996. Um, Things really started to get loose and slid to where we are today. Dropping some some numbers this morning. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Um, We've been on kind of the slide towards where we are today for at least 20 years. Uh, 1996, the um, uh, Telecommunications Act was uh, passed and it it overhauled broadcasting. Uh, It One of the key things that it did that led to where we are today is it allowed um, corporations to uh, have monopolies in ownership of of media outlets. Um, Prior to that, you, you couldn't own, there was a certain small number, you couldn't own more than a few media outlets in a market. Um, uh, that was undone. So now you can, you can, like you see uh, these huge corporations own hundreds of radio stations, dozens of television stations across the country. Um, that's all because of the Telecommunications Act of 1996. Um, but do you, don't you think like there is like, okay, here, here's my, here, here's something I've been, I've been seeing with marketing and data and politics. So obviously there is one side around, hey, you you are giving this data so that um, politicians know who are the people that are on the fence and be able to go to them and talk to them and convince them. That's I think so far this is legit. This is fine. Uh, I, I'm, I'm a very much of a data-driven guy. So if data allows politicians to... Uh, better target. So if I am a Democrat and uh, I am convinced already that I love Biden, then I don't need Biden to come and market to me anymore. Right. Go for my neighbor who might be on the fence. Mm. But the problem is, actually, it's it's beyond that. There is another level of um, another level that's happening where you're not only knowing who are the people on the fence, but actually knowing what is the right message to kind of like deceive them yeah uh, to get them to believe something right sure. so if i am if i am on the fence and i i and i work in certain industry and this industry is being hit then let me tell you certain things that can get you fired up mm-hmm. right um if, if you're on the fence between police brutality and race mm-hmm. then let me get on the right side to to speak your language I'm all about meet your consumer where your consumers are, but 
there needs to be ethics. I mean, if and if in politics we're not being ethical, like I feel like this is we're going to hell. Like what what else? Are we, we're really lying for people to push an agenda that mm-hmm. is going to change the course of a country, of course of. I feel like course of humanity a little bit has been impacted by by this. Oh, for sure. Where do we stop? So we're scaled up from behaviors that have always existed in consumers. Consumers have always been gullible. Mm, I love that word. There's nothing new there. There's nothing new to consumers being duped. Um, it's just today the scale is so much larger than it's ever been in the past. The scale of information, the scale of media, the scale of data that allows targeting. Um, it's exploded in the last 20 years in volume of information and access to the ability to t- micro-target people based off of information that they've shared. Where do we see this going? I feel that technology is going to continue to get more advanced. People are addicted to social. And as much as I want to believe that we are going to be able to police and better control data and the usage of data, I feel in in three years from now, another big round of campaign, data is going to play a bigger role. I don't see anyone of whether it's the Facebook or Insta or TikTok, no one is playing a role to say, let's put a cap on it. So where, where do you think we're going to go? Yeah. So I think where we're going to go is really shown to us in our past. It's, it's obvious that in the past, the Federal Communications Commission had controls and standards applied to broadcast media. I will tell you, so I've been in, in digital since the mid-1990s, and I've seen it all unfold. And I watched social media unfold. I actually worked in social media in the early, early days. I watched Facebook unfold. Uh, And so I saw it all come together. And one of the key things that I saw was that in the early days of, of Facebook, Facebook wanted to become a media outlet. Facebook wanted to be media. They wanted to be your source of news and information. They wanted you to go to Facebook to to read the news. Um, Yeah, I remember that. You know, Zuckerberg wanted that. Well, he got it. Yeah, but it's news. But he didn't. Okay, do you think, though, he he thought that this would be, how much of that would be fake news versus being, like, truly journalist news? Because, like, the, the thing I have with social, um, it's it's consumer generated content, right? I mean, that's the beauty of it is that you don't need to go and hire copywriters and creative people. You're you're actually using people to do that. It's mm-hmm. in a way it's modern age of like, you know, I don't want to say slavery, but it's a modern age of like cheap labor, right? Mm-hmm. Where you're you're keeping people on that platform by them creating the content and thinking this is a good idea it's it's absurd but uh if that's the media company okay that's great don't we feel like we've pushed this a little too far we have he's i don't see i don't see anyone and like i would have loved any one of the politicians like in in these rounds to say i'm not gonna do any advertising on social like Twitter decided where they're not going to support political campaigns. They took a big hit, but I respect that. But like, why can't the politicians say, you know what? I'm not going to do it. Like, 
I know they're going to lose so many people, but don't, isn't that worth to fight for? No, no politician believes that this is wrong. I'm sure many politicians believe it's wrong, but I'm also pretty sure that many politicians have been sat down and told by their campaign strategists that if you don't do these things, you won't win. And if you don't win, what's the point? And that's why I think these many politicians whom, okay, I'm sure some of them, some of them are way off the charts with lacking morals, values, and ethics, but I'm sure actually most of them have some morals, values, and ethics. They just are forced to stretch them, move them aside, put them in the margin of their mind so that they can win the campaign. Because in their mind, if they don't win, they don't get to their end goal, which is to be that person in power. That's like, this is the same pressure that corporations put on politicians. Um, But it's actually a different way, right? So before... It used to be like, hey, I'm an oil company. I donate to your campaign. You better have something in your agenda when you when you become an office right. that to to help me out. Now, you're you're using my platform to push your agenda, and that's gonna put pressure on you. You cannot go after me because this is actually gonna hurt you. I don't have to do anything, but hey, you cannot go after me because you need this to win. Another one. That's crazy. That like. I yeah. feel like someone needs, okay, and I know we're kind of shifting into talking more about like the the social media aspect, but there needs to be a cap on how this data is being used. Like I have no problem with Facebook or any of the social aspects um, targeting mm-hmm. and using data and showing content. But how do we ensure that this content is actually accurate and it's not going to impact people in the wrong way because you talk to people today a lot of people feel they were deceived right people deceived and and that you're never going to be able to remove deception because deception happens on tv deception happens like you said politics politicians have the right to to lie under the first amendment i get that but i still believe we've gone too far and we're not done yet yeah so so Um, My perspective, uh, I think social media needs to have the FCC apply standards to them, the same standards that are applied to broadcast media. Social media wants to play in the broadcast media world. I'm telling you that flat out. Zuckerberg wants to be considered a major broadcast media and Facebook is. Well, Mm -hmm. you also have to play by the rules of broadcast media for content standards and and truth and honesty. And right now, Facebook is ducking that. Um, That's that's. That's one key thing that has to happen. So, okay. So then in a perfect world, let's take a look at this in a, in a better and more positive way, right? Um, data and politics, if, if we think about it positively, um, it should also be data that helps politicians in understanding what is the real problem that people are facing, right? So not only... What what do we know about these people so I can change their opinion uh, or I can trick them? But what is it that they care about that I can really figure out a better solution for? And I don't think I don't think when we talk about data and politics, I don't think that's that's happening at all, right? Like if so, for example, like we are. Um, well, the data is so inaccurate. <laughs> it's. Uh, 
Yeah, it's so inaccurate, but but not always, man. I mean, there are people, if you look at some of the data that's being collected, it's pretty spot on, right? Like people are saying, I I like this, I don't like this, I, I live here. Like you're, there is sensitive data that's being shared. Um, that sensitive data should be able to, we should be able to deduce from it some learnings, not to push my agenda, but to create the right agenda that matters to these people, right? Mm. Um, like to fi- I-, I was I was just thinking about this terminology of when we do um, in an engagement we do an audit or an assessment right mm. so what we do is we we dig into what is the underlying problem and we dig into uh, what caused it why is it here we talk to the stakeholders we talk to the technology people we talk to every part of the you know the equation and then we come up with a recommendation mm-hmm. as a politician I feel like they need to be doing this more, right? Let's leverage data, not for us to target people, but let me to understand exactly what's the underlying problem. Mm. Like, there is some problems, the same way that we can define a problem today saying that we're not able to send emails quick enough. That's a problem. But there might be an underlying problem that we never looked at that data will uncover, such as the 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 emails that we're sending today we are hitting people too way too many times so if a politician actually digs into data to understand what could be another problem that people are facing we they might be able to go and solve a problem that no one even thought about do you ever think about that sure it's complicated super complicated that's the data-driven politics Mm -hmm. not not data-driven advertising, but data-driven data, politics. It, it's a great idea. L- let me give you a counterpoint to that. Um, so in 2019, my wife and I took an RV trip around America. We were very fortunate. We were able to spend nine months on the road. We did a full loop of America. And in that, we got to spend time in most of the different regions of the country. And a few things that we discovered. One was that most people, regardless of where they are in America, are nice, open-minded, friendly people. Mm-hmm. What we also noticed was the large diversity of culture and geography in America, the regionalization of America, because it's so large. There are great differences uh, in, in, in the different regions in, in terms of kind of microculture. People in the southeast states are very different than the people in the northwest states. Um, but they share commonalities of, in many cases, we found good character, friendliness, but their interests and concerns were very different. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the greatest issues here in America is the diversity of interests across this great large nation that we have. It's almost impossible to get a consensus across the country on certain topics and concerns because most people are concerned with a few things that matter to them. Now you can find the commonalities, you know, all Americans might care about some foreign threat. Okay, that's easy. Um, but the people in Seattle are going to care about things that are relative to Washington State and Puget Sound. They're not going to care about things that are relative to Florida and vice versa. Yep. Yeah, I agree with that. I I completely agree with that. You cannot, I mean, even in normal life, you cannot come up with something that pleases everyone, right? Like, God couldn't do it and i don't think we're going to be able to do it right like it's it's impossible people have opinions have different interests i get that but there's also 
there's important things that are happening in the world that at a foundation we all agree on, right? So we, I hope we agree on. One is equality. Like I think if, if we don't come in as a country and all of us agree there's equality, then the people who doesn't believe in equality, we need to understand why, right? Like if there is still, which there is still a race issue in this country, um, there, this, needs, this, is, this is a problem that needs to really be solved, right? And I'm not saying we, these people are wrong, right? I'm not here to say who's right or who's wrong, but this is a topic that is very important to be resolved. Um, whether it is uh, the ability for people to get jobs and unemployment, that's also a problem. So these are problems that they are right jumping at us. I'm, I'm a little bit worried and scared about how in the next round of elections, how data is going to be used. Because yeah. I was worried in the past one. I was worried in the one before. And, and I don't see this slowing down. So remember, it's not the data's fault. It's actually yeah. the use of content and the lack of regulation about that content being delivered to people based off of that data. And what we really need to see is the FCC apply broadcast standards, broadcast media standards to social media. It's time. And this is coming from me. I'm 25 years in digital. You can't find a person who has lived more and cares more about what happens in digital. And I know it's time for Facebook to own up to, they wanted to be a media outlet, they got it. Now it's time to be held to some, the same standards that broadcast media have been held to for 70 years. Yeah, I agree, I agree. Let's see, I, uh, I'm actually interested to see with our point of view, what our guest is gonna bring to the table. So this should be a good discussion. We're back at it again. Um, today, uh, I feel like every guest we have is special, but today we, we have a super special person. He's, uh, he's not only someone that lives in my neighborhood, but I wanna read his um, Twitter uh, bio. He's a political pollster, a micro-targeter, a data miner. It gets better. Data visualizer at Deep Root, um, former chief analytics officer for Jeb Bush, and a director of data science for Mitt Romney. Um, I would like to introduce Alex Laundry. Uh, Alex, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me here. Uh, you're welcome. I'm, and now we have two Alexes to, uh, on this podcast, so you know this is going to be good. But um, Alex, for people that don't know you beyond this, this bio uh, that you have on your Twitter account, and I love your, your picture with the monkey. You have to tell us a little bit about that. Uh, but for people who don't know who you are, Maybe you can uh, give us a little bit of history of uh, your career so far. You, you're a DC, um, uh, you live in DC, or you have an awesome, beautiful family. Um, let people get to know you a little more. Yeah, thanks. Um, so, uh, yeah, so I've been working in the field of political data science for almost probably 20 years now um, and have been around since really the beginning of uh, the era when we've moved into using big data and analytics to help campaigns really drive uh, many 
or as many of the decisions that they make as possible. Um, and you know, I, I came to it through polling. That was the path that I kind of took to get into that world. Spent some time working for a political pollster where we did things like traditional survey research and focus group research. And, and that continues to be actually a really critical foundation of some of the analytics that we do. Um, so that's still there. Um, but, you know, came to this path just because of a, a you know, a, a civic sense of civic duty and interest in politics from things like the West Wing. But also, you know, my my dad being an Army Reserve officer, my mother being a social worker for the state of New Jersey, you know, get involved, um, do something to make your community better. And that really led me into this world of politics. Um, you know, got a political science degree, got a master's in public policy, which kind of gave me the background and stats that allowed me to then go, um, you know, do that statistics work uh, in this really fascinating and fast moving world and, and just, um, you know, have been living in D.C. Uh, for uh, most of this time and, uh, you know, really love being a part of the community and doing this sort of work. You said you started with polling and in 20 years, how did you how do you see polling have changed? over over the past 20 years? Well, the most obvious is just in how you collect data, right? I mean, I probably came in right at the tail end of being able to reliably call landline phone uh, phones in order to collect information. And when response rates were, um, were still pretty robust, um, of course, at that time, people were complaining that they had been falling dramatically. Um, but looking back now, that was actually, they were quite good compared to what we've got now. And so, you know, now you, you, you can no longer credibly do landline only polling. You've had to transition into cell phones, but even, even in the last few years, you've had to transition, um, you know, to online, to mobile, um, those sort of platforms in order to reliably collect a good, accurate sample of data to be able to project. So this data that's being collected, um, to, like I'm sure it, 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 you have seen it change in the way that it's been used. Um, so initially, uh, I would love to hear from you, like how initially you've seen politicians use it. Was it just like a forecasting? Was it to to come up with better tactics uh, or better policy? Uh, you know, we we as consumers, we we look at data, we use it every day in marketing, advertising. But then when it comes to politics, we, uh, we're very sensitive about it. Um, or in some cases, we, we don't know the full story of how this data is being used. Uh, you're in that space. How, what, what is your perspective uh, on it? Well, yeah, the, previously they would have done polling using random digit dial. They would have called up somebody, just asked to speak you know, with whoever had the most recent birthday or some other sort of in-household randomization method and just collected those responses, the only information you had from the survey was within the you know, 10, 15, 20 minutes of the questionnaire that you asked, that was it. And so you had basic demographics like age, gender, education, ethnicity, and the like, and that was it. And that was all you had to go on. And, and using those, they would come up with, they would use it to um, do some forecasting. Most political polling actually is not forecasting. It's not prediction. Um, it's not you know, what Nate Silver does. I mean, we do want to know what's going to happen on election day, but most importantly, we're trying to figure out how to adapt our strategy and our tactics on a day-to-day -day basis to win on election day. And so they'd use that survey to figure out um, messaging, 
right? So they test what uh, wh what messages are better than others, and even before that, what issues are of most concern uh, than others. But then they'd also get basic targeting down, age, gender, education, et cetera. The way that's shifted is where we've moved to a um, individual-centric uh, you know, survey collection method where we call and we speak to a very specific individual whose name is on the voter file. The voter file is publicly available information in, in all 50 states. So you can actually get a list of people who are registered to vote. And what we've done is we've started merging that voter file into consumer data files from places like Axiom, Infogroup, Donnelly, whatever, what have you. And so in that case, we've got the data that we've collected from our 15 minute interview, but then we've also got you know, a couple thousand extra variables that come from the voter file and the consumer file. And we can then build predictive models that actually give us a propensity score or probability that a particular individual is a particular thing we're interested in, right? Wow. And are they a swing voter? What's the probability that they're a swing voter? And then we communicate with them accordingly. We can create customized target groups based on those probabilities to then talk to them individually. So it, it, it's really come, you know, a fantastic way from what we were doing in the 90s to what we're doing now. And you have access, the the way that you can communicate with them have also changed, right? So back mm -hmm. in the day, that could be um, a speech that would be on radio or TV. Mm -hmm. um, today, this can be an ad that is happening anywhere on a podcast. It's happened right. on YouTube. It can be in their social feed. So so really, you have more opportunities to get this message across. And also, I'm assuming you're also studying the behavior, right? The reaction for these messages. Like, mm -hmm. not only um, is there like also like a feedback loop of saying like, okay, this is we put in, came up with these clusters or these models. How are they performing? And then based on that, we're able to shift, maybe dial up or dial down. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, to your first point, like, yeah, we've moved from politics being a mass medium uh, where it was shaped in the 80s by, you know, TV ads and uh, the, the TV ad makers, you know, doing these huge consequential ads that would be aired, broadcast out to large swaths of the electorate to an era where we can do really finely segmented and finely tuned ads to very narrow slices of the electorate because not just of the, the targeting and the analytical capabilities that we have with this data set that we have, but also just the mediums, the explosion in mediums, the diversification of media. Um, so we can, we can really put ads in front of you know, different people in very different places. But then to, you know, to the actual uh, uh, feedback loop, yeah, we can actually do that. Now, one thing that's really different between us and kind of the consumer world and the brand world is um, the consumer world uses that feedback loop to focus on things like acquisition, right? So they're very interested in acquisition. They look at those bottom of the funnel metrics. In mm -hmm. politics, that the bottom of that funnel is uh, is basically only one day. Now that's changed. We're expanding the elec election day into election weeks, and we're doing vote by mail. But you know, if if you're listening out there and you work in consumer data, you know, people can buy your product any day at any time. If you're working in political data, people can only buy your product during a very defined period of time. And so we can't focus as much our feedback loop analyses on acquisition. Now we can in kind of a grand scheme and we, we know if people turned out to vote. So we can do 
after the election analyses of whether our stuff worked in turning people out. Um, but in the meantime, what we have to focus on uh, for feedback loops is that top of the funnel, that kind of brand affinity, brand interest, you know? Um, mm -hmm. And so we have to look at kind of softer metrics um, like uh, attitudes towards the candidate, attitudes towards the party, likelihood to vote, and so on and so forth. Right, so different signals that, that gives you um, signals, right? Like that uh, indicators. So your KPIs here are not conversion, like someone has voted or not, but do I feel that they are more convinced or if they were a swing voter, do we feel like we were able to win them or push them the other direction? Mm -hmm. You're looking for these type of signals. That's very interesting. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, and we are, you know, there are some places where the window for voting is larger and we actually can look at whether somebody voted or not and use that to help kind of uh, with our models, you know, in the rest of the election uh, season. Uh, but but for the most part, we're looking at, yeah, these, K these softer KPIs. You mentioned Axiom, you mentioned some other like uh, data sources, which is very similar to what we use in marketing and advertising today. Um, and actually, this is where you and I had that moment when we were at a, at a neighborhood barbecue and you were like, I'm a data scientist at work. And I was like, oh, I work with LiveRamp. You're like, oh, I work with LiveRamp too. So this is amazing. <laughs> I didn't even know these two worlds really kind of overlapped because I, I always think about politics like, political data separate, but it, it sounds that there's a lot in common. Um, oh, yeah. How, how do you see, how do you see the work that is being done in politics or with data? Um, do you feel that we are learning from what's happening in marketing advertising to influence what's happening in politics or it's the other way around seeing what tactics are working in politics with data that we're taking to, to the consumers? Which direction do you feel it's swinging? Um, yeah, I, I think in truth, it, it goes a little bit in both directions. I do think that probably that, that the original innovation of micro-targeting, of uh, bringing consumer files into a voter file, that, that was actually driven by us looking to the commercial world. Um, Alex Gage, my mentor who founded a company called Target Point and who was one of the primary people behind bringing micro-targeting uh, to politics, uh, was was um, motivated by seeing what that LL Bean varied the cover on its catalog, depending upon how you had spent money, or knowing that American Express customized the the appeals that they mailed out to people based on how they had used their card. And he said, how can we bring that over here? But I do think since then, what we've seen is probably a bit more flow from politics into the commercial world. And I think a lot of that is because um, you know, frankly, I think the commercial world, you're working with big brands, with entrenched interests, with uh, with uh, budgets that are set, with lengthy time horizons, vendors that are locked in to a certain uh, method. Uh, politics is very entrepreneurial when it comes to this sort of stuff. Uh, you're only as good as your last cycle um, and you've got to produce results. We have very clear results, which is win or lose. Right. Mm -hmm. And um, and so we've seen, I think, quite a bit of innovation that has drifted from our world of politics over into the commercial world. Um, you know, I'm thinking of things like um, like some of the TV targeting that we've worked on at Deeproot. You know, we uh, have really pushed the commercial world to think more strategically about the data they're using to buy um, their TV advertising and using customized targeted groups, um, target custom target ratings to help them figure out how to um, how to how to optimize 
optimize their TV buy. And we're seeing more of that in the commercial world, but I think it's taking pushes from what they've seen, the success they've seen of that targeting mechanism among both Democratic and Republican campaigns. Shifting a little bit of topic around um, the impact of some of the tactics that we do. So in, in, this, in this season of uh, You Might Like This, we've been concentrating on topics that uh, where we feel like digital needs to do better. Uh, we talked about uh, digital renovation. We talked about uh, digital and diversity and women in marketing. Uh, and then there's always this topic that, that me and Alex always talk about, which is the impact of digital on on the way we do things today. Right. So uh, I'm a big fan of uh, a podcast called Undivided Attention by Tristan Harris, where he really talked about and continues to talk about how some of the tactics we do today, whether it's the products that we put out there or some of the targeting we do uh, or some of the social media, we're kind of training people to think in a certain way. We're kind of changing their behavior. And I feel like politics is a place where it it happens uh, because we are changing people's stand on on issues, on, on a party and, and such. Um, do you feel that the this work that where politics is becoming more micro-targeted and enabling uh, polit- politicians to reach to consumers, knowing a lot about them, are we enlightening them, or are we? Do we feel like we might be going too far, where we might be just changing their mind? Because the same way with 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 marketing and advertising, sometimes I feel that if I am personalizing your experience, yes, I'm getting you to buy more, but I'm also changing the way that you consume things. Mm-hmm. Have I gone too yeah. far? With micro-targeting and with analytics, the fact is it's a tool, right? It's a tool, and so it can be used as both a, a positive, but I think it, also, it can also be used as a negative. And you've seen bad actors. You've seen people um, do things and use it in ways that are, are not ideal. You know, but but I think it has an opportunity to make uh, politics better, to make the discourse better. I like to think about the fact that by targeting narrow slices of the electorate, you can speak to people about the issues they they care about. And so what happens in that case is you can identify people who, for example, are very interested in housing policy and you can tell them what your housing policy is. And the fact of the matter is, is that. Um, there, there will not be any broadcast television ad cut on housing policy. It's way too far down the list of issues for people, uh, for, for them to spend money on a broadcast TV ad that goes out to mass market, right, on that, because you want to speak to people about big issues that capture as broad a market as possible. So it's going to be the economy, it's going to be jobs, it's going to be you know a few other handful of issues. But by doing this targeting, you can speak to people about some of these, these issues that otherwise would not be given a, a, the platform that they need. And I think that can, I think that can be a good thing. Um, but there are definitely opportunities for abuse, though uh, I, I've heard people say, well, doesn't micro-targeting allow you to you know, talk out of both sides of your mouth? You can say you're, you know, uh, pro-life to one group and pro-choice to another. And like, right. uh, and, and, and I guess theoretically you could, and probably that's a bit of an extreme example, but you can kind of tailor your messaging, you know, more towards one side or the other on both sides of an issue. But the fact is, I think we live in, in you know, as long uh, we live in such a connected world that I think any of those contradictory messages 
will come to light, usually come to light. And we've got transparency um, mechanisms, I think, in some of the things like the Facebook ad, um, you know, uh, uh, database, um, the Google ad repository, those sort of things. You can see what's out there. And as long as we have the right level of transparency with uh, with these sort of things, I think, you know, we can avoid those circumstances or at least bring them to light, you know, name and shame the people that are doing those things. How do you feel our kids are going to consume data as they grow, not only in politics, but in general, uh, like, you know, a few years ago, this, this thing came up and said data is now more valuable than oil or is our, our, the oil of our generation. And I feel that, uh, we're getting to a point where we're overwhelmed. Uh, we're shutting down, like I'm, I'm a type of person that I'm shutting down sources of data just so that I can sleep better at night. Um, how do you think our kids are going to deal with that? Um, you being in a father and, and also being in a space you've seen the use of data. Yeah. What, what a great question. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I hope they'll become better, uh, um, not consumers of data, but, but it's almost, um, uh, that I, I encourage my, my kids to think thoughtfully about the data that they throw off. Right. And so I like to think that in the same way that, you know, kids who are raised in the Internet era are probably more thoughtful about their their Internet persona. You know, that they are. I think we now see kids kind of coming up oh, that are of the 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 born online generation that are really thoughtful about their like Instagram persona or their Facebook persona. And they and they kind of get, OK, well, employers are going to look at this thing. And mm-hmm. I wonder if maybe and, and this is definitely aspirational if kids of this age, you know, can be more thoughtful about the data that they're, that, that they're, that they're allowing marketers to use, that they're giving up. I also think they, they, they inherently kind of understand the advantage of customization and personalization. And, you know, just talking, I've got some, some relatively new teenagers in my household and um, you know, they're starting to see more and more targeted ads. Um, And I think that, um, you know, occasionally one will come up and they'll be like, oh, that's crazy. I was just talking about it. And, you know, we've all had those conversations like, you know, what are the odds? And, and they get a little, a little concerned about it. But then I think they also say, well, you know, I see the value in this, in this targeting. I, I, I appreciate that this is something I may be interested in. And so maybe they'll just be more thoughtful. Um, uh, uh, it's not consumers. I don't know what word I'm looking for here, but it's like, uh, uh, generators of data or not, yeah. you know, I guess, I don't know, something like that. It's, it's both, right? Like we are yeah. generators, but also we're consuming. Um, so do you feel that um, knowing kids now, knowing what they know about data, right? Like I'm, I'm thinking back, okay, 20 years ago, I, I, internet was new to me. I just came to the country, to the U S um, and, I was the guy in the library on Napster downloading music. I really didn't <laughs> care who I was like stealing from. Uh, but then if I look to now, like I'm, I, I have a different perspective on things where over the years I've went through these cycles where I didn't care what I posted about fa- on Facebook, but then now I deactivated Facebook. Uh, I didn't care that my Instagram was public. Now I deactivated my Instagram. Um, but then as I, ha- I look at the future generation, they are growing in, in an environment where 
they're aware of these things. They, they've heard the stories. They've heard the stories of what their parents have gone through in terms of um, the ups and downs with, with these type of platforms and data generation. But also they've heard the stories of the impact of where data can take you. It can help you, right? There, there's a lot of value in the data we collect and we generate, but also it can isolate you and get you on you know, the more depression and the more isolation and trying to build a persona that is not really you. Mm-hmm. But I worry about like, this is now, 20 years from now, what is it gonna be? Um, I feel that it's gonna be one or two things. We're either going to be, there's going to be suppression of data so that the less we know, the better, or there's going to be a ridiculous way of more data science that that is able to interpret the the crazy volume of data. And you're you're a data scientist, right? So yeah. you've you've seen how data volumes have grown. You've seen the different flavors of it. Um, I, I just I'm curious to see like how how would would this change in data and the advances in technology and computing would we just be like having these conversations ten years from now and and be like oh you know it's just yeah, it is data. We're just able to process it better <laughs> and we're able to use it better. Do you think that would be the case? I, I mean, I think we are approaching a really, um, if not already having a very serious conversation about privacy and kind of what is, what should be available and how can it be used. Describe to, to consumers, like, what should they not be concerned about or, or afraid about with data? What, what, what would be your, your <laughs> guidance to, to, to the general population about feeling comfortable about the use of data in politics? Yeah, I'd say two things. Number one, um, your record, like your individual record is completely inaccurate. <laughs> and like, not completely inaccurate. I like to say to people that somehow, you know, every single person's record has, has a mistake in it. And probably more than one mistake in it, but somehow in the aggregate, it all works. Like the, it, we're playing averages here, right? Which is like, it, you know, like my wife is clearly misclassified um, in in the in the commercial file on like a number of variables. <laughs> like age and age and race is the big one that clearly they've gotten wrong based on some of the catalogs we've received. Um, and and like, but but in the end, I like ultimately it aggregates up to actually be you know, useful, right? It's like that old saying, like all models are wrong, but some are useful. Like, mm. like, like all, all entries in, in the consumer file are wrong, but some of them are useful. Um, but then also like we are dealing with probabilities here is the other kind of like affirm or re- you know, reassurance I would give people. We're not dealing with individual level people at the, I mean, we are putting a probability on there, but like, I really don't care about specific individuals. I really don't. I'm just talking about big groups that share characteristics, right? And and also like, we cannot predict how you think. We can't predict things before you even predict them. You know, like, like it, people are unique. People are, everybody's unique. And, and there are always people who throw off a model, even the best models that are 98% accurate, it still means 2% you're wrong. You know, and, and, and the flip side of that expression I always gave you of all models are wrong with some are useful, the more informal version is, there's always a Texan living in Chinatown. You know, there's always gonna be somebody who throw, who does not fit your models. Um, and, and so like, 
it, it's, it can sound really creepy and sound really, you know, uh, big brotherish. But at the end, you know, we're really just making informed guesses about who people are based on the information they're giving us. And you and I do that every day when we see people walk in the coffee shop. You know, like you just see somebody walk in and I, I bet you guys, like if you guess does that person vote, you know, Trump or Biden, like you could probably do a pretty good job guessing those things. And we're yeah. basically doing the same thing. We're just using a couple hundred variables and we're doing it at scale. Yes. Yeah. This is, is this is a good point. We look at things um, in a way where we feel like we want uh, we want to give information that helps us. But at the same time, we worry about where this information is going to to take. Right? Where is it going to go? Uh, I think one thing you said um, that I would like to see is more power for us as generators and consumers of this data to say when and where we want this data to be used. Um, like we're yeah. seeing a big shift in privacy, like you mentioned. We see a big shift in cookie and device data that now is being a little bit regulated. I would like the option to say, hey, you know, I I want to vote. And me, me and Alex talked about this. I want to vote and I want the per, the best person to win my vote um, because they're going to be, you know, they're in a way like my, they work for me, right? I don't work for them. So, but I want to pick who, who wants, who is going to work for me, but I want to be able to choose that. And, Mm-hmm. One way is telling them what my issues are so that they can better come to me and tell me. But also the other way around is I want to know more about them. Like what data can politicians give me that I can be educated? Um, and I feel, okay, politics is a way like they cannot be 100% clear. They're, that's why they're politicians, right? They're, <laughs> they're hiding things and they just want you to, to hear what you, they want you to hear. But... But should we should we should walk like move into a different direction where there is transparency on both sides, transparency from politicians saying, here's my agenda. And then us feeling confident enough to say, hey, man or hey, woman, you I really like what you're saying. I want to hear more. Here's more information about what what matters to me. And just tell me what what is the real uh, deal. I hope that we get to that space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that, um, you know, letting people know about the about the data they have and how it's being used. We want more people to know about that. You know, we want people to be better educated about the voter file and how it's publicly available and the sort of data we have and how we make decisions. And I don't think I, I don't think it'll be as um, you know, I don't think people will will be as concerned about it as as they uh, probably are right now. Um, and a lot of that just gets chalked up to, you know, having some basic data literacy about how people are using the data that you generate, you know, and, and goes back to what you were asking about, you know, how our kids will use data. I think my kids will have better data literacy about about the ways in which it's used and not just because their dad is a data scientist. Like, I think it's because they're, they're just more tuned into this sort of stuff now. Um, and. You know, and that's why I think ultimately good regulation, you know, can do a good service here and that it'll give people confidence that, it, that you know, data is being used in ways that is helpful um, and that uh, the data we have on people uh, that we're totally transparent with that. Alex, this has been a wonderful conversation. I have um, I have a list of 10 questions I want to ask you. Um, you just need to choose. It's 
it's not yes or no. It's one or the other. So I, I want whatever comes to your mind, pick. Um, and then we will move on to the next question. Not, not, nothing okay. too serious, by the way. Lightning round. Um, lightning round. Okay, yeah. good. Lightning round. Yep. Um, all right. R or Python? Oh, R. Come on. Mac or PC? <laughs> Mac. All right. Live ramp or Newstar? Live ramp. Okay. Nats or the Wizards? Oh, Nats. <laughs> Saturday or Sunday? Oh. Ooh. Uh, uh. Oh, that's, that's tough. Sunday. Okay. Um, Nike or New Balance? Nike. Okay, you're a cool dad. Uh, bike or run? <laughs> run. Shorts or sweatpants? Uh, shorts. Uber or Lyft? Uber. DCA or BWI? Oh, God. DCA. That's, right. that's no contest. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's good. That's good. I, um, I, you, you get stuck on the Saturday versus Sunday. Um, that, that was hard. That, that was like choosing between you know, okay. my Why favorite Why did you kid. pick Sunday? Well, Why did you pick Sunday? Uh, you know, Sunday, Sunday we usually have fewer activities. Saturday, there's usually a game or a practice or you know something like that. Sundays, well, I think we're more likely to be open. You have your kids in every activity out there. <laughs> so uh, just for records, not, not to give too much information, but Alex's kids are phenomenal. Um, Thank you. Bunch of sports, <laughs> bunch of like uh, musicals, uh, art. So yeah, I mean, the, I can see Saturdays running around from one practice to another. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Saturday's a great day, but Sunday usually I can sleep in, which is good. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. All right. Well, this has been great. Thank you so much. Um, I think you have shared with us some incredible insights about a space that we don't know enough about. Uh, I feel that we're going to have you again on the show uh, soon uh, with as, as this space evolves. So, so thank you so much for, yeah. for spending this time with us. No, this is great. I was happy to talk with you guys. And, and it was a great conversation with um, some really great questions, that, you know, really make you think. So thank you very much. Thank you so much for joining us. Very proud to be doing this podcast for all of our listeners. We hope you find this valuable. We hope you subscribe, tell your friends, and leave us a review on any of your favorite podcasting platforms. Music is by yours truly, JNH. Sound design and mixing is by Sir Hanks a lot. For more info, check us out at you might like this, that one.